You know, as I was walking in this morning, a few of you were, were chatting, and one young man came up to me and said, Rick, this is going to be a good morning. And I smiled, and I think he was noting a little bit about the sunshine. And even though it's 26 degrees when we get up, you know, I, I, there's still a little bit of sun. But the reason I smiled, to be quite honest, is that we get to gather today with God's people. We get to adore and worship the Good Shepherd. We have an opportunity to lift our voices and to be able to say, thank you, God. We love you. It is always a good day when we get to worship when we get to open up God's Word. If you've been with us, you know that we are stuck in the Gospel of John. Well, I don't see it really as stuck in the Gospel of John. But the Gospel of John continues to inspire me. The Gospel of John continues to captivate me. And it's week 27 in our series. Well, John, he certainly had an agenda. He not only walked with our Lord and decided that he was someone worthy to follow, to literally give up your life for. But he wrote it at the end of his gospel, and it's found in John chapter 20, verse 31. And he says this, he says, I'm writing this gospel so that you may continue to believe. (laughs) We're going to look at believe again today. But believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. And that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. And so John, while he walked with Jesus, he spent quite a few years establishing different churches. And near the end of his life, he still was so excited about who Jesus was. That's why I love sitting down with Some of our folks who are just a little bit older than I am. But you know what's fun? Is be able to hear their stories and how they do love the Lord more as, well, some things start to wear out. And it's not so easy to get around. And it's, well, life's a whole lot harder. But their faith is amazing. And it excites me to be able to listen to their stories. And I look at them and I tell them they're my hero. Because heroes to me are people that faithfully walk with God in spite of situations or circumstances. That's just how it is. Well, John lived with Jesus for three years and he experienced Christ's transforming presence and was passionate to be able to share the good news that Jesus started, but then handed off that assignment to all the disciples. Jesus was passionate about restoring broken relationships with the religious, the outcasts, the disabled, those groping and struggling with the meaning of life. Well, even with life itself. I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, with me to John chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 22. Last week we ended at verse 21, 
But the one thing that we need to realize or, or, or need to be reminded of is that in John chapter 10, between verses 21 and 22, well, it's probably two months' time. In our text, Jesus is going to be coming back to the temple which he had left. And if you were with us last week, I gave you a little teaser. And I talked a little bit about John chapter 10, verses 27, 28, and 29. But to be honest, as I was opening up the Word, and as I was studying and preparing even, uh, what do I teach? This passage that we're going to look at today didn't go away. I figured this, is if Jesus will start talking about sheep and shepherds, he let it go for about two months, and then the first thing he talks about when he comes back into Jerusalem are sheep. Well, I guess that's probably pretty important. So we're going to look at it just a little bit deeper. But before we do, let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for being our good shepherd. I want to thank you for using sheep. Lord, I've shared with you a thousand times, I don't like that metaphor. But God, you know it's best. And if I look at my life and I understand, well, how sheep live, I know I'm a perfect sheep. Not a sheep, well, without sin, but a, but a sheep that is so unbelievably dependent upon you. I know, Father, I need you. Because I just, well, get distracted. And I just like doing things my own way. But the more time I spend with you, Lord, the more time I understand you are the good shepherd. And what you ask me to do and where you lead me, it is really good. So I just want to say thank you. Lord, there's a whole lot of churches in our area, different churches all right around in our neighborhood and around our neighborhood here in Lake County and McHenry County and in southern Wisconsin. And I pray, dear Jesus, that you would just use those churches to encourage and equip and build the saints today. We pray, dear Lord, that there would be a great army of men and women who would be reminded of who you are and equipped better to deal with the situations and the circumstances of life. We pray even today, Father, as we look at our text, that we would be reminded of such important truths. It would literally change how we live this week. Thank you again for your grace. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for recording these stories for us so that we might be able to learn from them. Open our eyes even today, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Jesus keeps talking about sheep and shepherds for a reason. It was familiar, as I said, because this was something that wasn't extraordinary or, or something that was different. There were always shepherds around in Israel. There were. I also think it was probably convicting. And even as you heard me pray, it's so hard sometimes to, to really look at me and say, I'm this. There aren't any claws that I can see. 
There aren't any fangs. The legs are too short. They aren't very quick. And if they're ever in danger, what's he going to do? Lean over? You know, show the backside. Maybe <laughs> that'll be enough. And the enemy will leave. It's absolutely ridiculous why we are sheep. But again, if we're honest, if we're honest, we need a leader. We need a shepherd. So Jesus returns back to the temple where the crowds have quickly surrounded him. The Pharisees in the crowd probably were the ones who asked the first question. Can you imagine that? But in your text or on your flat screens, look at John chapter 10, starting at verse 22, and I'm going to read through 26. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. And now, or it was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you didn't believe. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. You see, for more than three years, Jesus had traveled the length and the breadth of Israel, preaching the gospel, calling for repentance, confronting hypocritical false religion, instructing his disciples, and performing countless signs and wonders which confirmed that he was the Messiah. Both his words and his works had clearly demonstrated his deity and his equality with God. Yet the question continually comes up. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Well, Jesus was clear and had been clear many times even in the book of John. But Jesus didn't fit the king mold, remember. He wasn't born like a king. He didn't live like a king. He came as an authority in a different realm. His kingdom looked different than what the Israelites wanted. They just wanted relief from Rome. They just wanted to have job security. They just wanted, and, and everything revolved around them, kind of like us. But Jesus said, no, I came to actually upset the apple cart. I'm going to change all the price tags. I have come in order to not only bring abundant life, but bring eternal life. So Jesus answers. He basically says, you know what, I've plainly told you who I am. In the book of John, just alone in chapter 5 and three times in chapter 8, he mentions that he is the Messiah. Jesus also said, you have seen my miracles that I've done in my Father's name which have demonstrated exactly that I've come from my Father, that I am the Son of God. In John alone, in chapter 3, and 5, and 7, and we're eventually going to get to 11 and 14. But 
But his miracles definitely shout, this is not an ordinary person. What he says is you don't get it because you are not in my flock. I'm sure at that exact moment that some people gasped. (laughs) These people were in the temple. These people were very religious. And even some of them were religious leaders and they had long robes and they had lids that proclaimed how holy they were. And Jesus looks at them without mincing his words, you are not in my flock. Jesus clearly describes who makes the cut, how his sheep act, and the benefits of being in his flock. Let's look first of all at who makes the cut. In verses 25 and 26, I'm going to read it again. Jesus replied, I've already told you, you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. Believing sheep make the cut and become part of the Good Shepherd's flock. Now some of you may ask, well, what does believing mean? I mean, in the scriptures, we know that the devils believe in God. So does Satan himself, would would you consider him a believer? Well, no. Yes, he does believe in God. But John uses the word believe unbelievable amount of times. And the easiest verse to look at, which is a verse that just everybody knows, is John 3.16. For God loved our world so much that he sent his Son in order to pay our debt, so that everyone who believes, and this word comes up over and over, puts their faith in Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, as one who sacrificed his blood, who paid our debt, so that we might not only, well, just have abundant life, but experience eternal life. That each one of us might not just get up and exist. That we have an opportunity to make an impact, a difference, and invest in a future. So the Lord, when he twice repeats, you do not believe, indicates that the problem was not due to any ambiguity in the revelation of truth but rather it was they chose it. They were spiritually blind. Oh, They lacked understanding, not because they lacked information, but because they lacked repentance and faith. Their unbelief was not due to insufficient exposure to the truth, but to their hatred of truth and their love for sin and lies. You see, scriptures were clear, especially even in John chapter 7. Anyone who is willing to seek the truth, they will find the truth, and the truth will make them free. Had Jesus once again given them a plain answer that they were demanding, they would not have believed again. Jesus sets us up well. 
But the choice is yours, and the choice has consequences. If you believe in Jesus the Messiah, you are part of his family and part of his flock. If you choose not to, you are not part of his flock. Well, let's go on. In verse 27, how do Christ's sheep act? And I think this is pretty important because my guess is if I look around and took a poll and had everybody raise their hands, how many think that they're part of Christ's flock? You don't have to. But my guess is the majority of you would raise your hands. And so it's probably important because Jesus here describes what sheep do. Literally, how they act. There are three disciplines that mark or identify Jesus' sheep. Now, as soon as I said the word discipline, some of you said, oh boy, I'm not liking that old discipline word, you know. Discipline is just not my thing. But they really are disciplines. They they really are. Uh, Christ's sheep, they spend time with the shepherd They listen to the shepherd, and they follow the shepherd. And we're going to dig in just a little bit of actually what that looks like. The first thing I'd like to focus on is they spend time with the shepherd. There is a relationship. If you think about it, and again, not many of you maybe have been around a herd of sheep or a shepherd, but try to picture what they actually, you know, how their lives look. Realistically, almost all of a sheep's waking hours is with their shepherd. The shepherd leads them, the shepherd guides them, shepherd protects them. If the grass isn't so good, they bring them to another place. When it's time to drink, the shepherd is there. So realistically, they hang out with sheep and they hang out with the shepherd. In this text, the scriptures say the shepherd knows. It's in the present tense. In fact, all these are in the present tense that are actually just kind of shouting how important this is happening continually, all the time. But the shepherd knows his flock. And the sheep knows the shepherd. He even knows their names. Now, honestly... That has got to be difficult. Now, maybe there are some sheep with little black markings, and maybe there are black sheep, and they kind of stick out a little bit more. But what happens if you, like, have a herd of 88 white sheep? It's tough. The only way that a shepherd is really going to be able to distinguish is really by spending time. And that's what our Lord does. He desires deeply to be able to have a relationship with each one of us. You know, the Apostle Paul knew this well. In fact, one of the passages, if you haven't read this for a while, I'll encourage you to do it. But back in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul was an amazing missionary. He didn't start out that way, as many of you know. He, he really was an adversary of the church and of anybody who, called, who named the name of Jesus. But eventually, Paul came to faith, and his life was radically different. 
And he was responsible for so much of the teaching and the training and beginning of new churches. Well, one of the things he shares in Philippians chapter 3 is he begins to applaud all of the things he did right in life before meeting Jesus. Oh, he was a Pharisee, and he was righteous, and, and he does his list. He even goes over his lineage and, and shares how Jewish he is. You know, I guess, you know, if you're part of the original tribes, you're really Jewish, you know. And he said, you know, as I look at all of my accomplishments, which at that time were unbelievable, he said, in my world, I was at the top of my gang game. It, it was unbelievable what power and authority I had. But then he goes in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. He says, you know what? None of that really was important once I met Jesus. In fact, he says this, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right for, with himself depends on faith. And this is what he says. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. What Paul basically said was this, as a sheep, I need to know my shepherd. I thought there were other more important things when I was in a flock. But the most important thing I can do is spend time with the shepherd and learn from the shepherd. I want to know him because as I know him, my life gets fulfilled. I understand more of who he is and I worship. Sheep, they also keep on listening. They keep on listening. In your verse, it looks like, well, sheep, listen. But what I'm trying to do is maybe emphasize the every moment detail. This again is in a, a, a present tense. It's something that's repeated over and over and over again. But what Jesus is saying is only believers can hear. You see, listening, I think, is learned. Our world is busy. It is. One of the things that I encourage the students that I teach up at Nicolay Bible Institute, where uh, I have a captive audience for one week, and I'm the professor, and they have to do everything I ask them to do, it's a pretty powerful position, I'm telling you, you know. But one of the things I try to stretch them in is listening. And I give them an assignment or a few assignments, but one of them is being absolutely still in total silence and solitude. Almost kills 19 and 20-year-olds. Letting you know, all right? And every time we do that, sometimes we start off at a two-hour mark. They come back and say, Rick, that was absolutely worthless. Didn't hear a thing. Okay, but I'm the professor, so we're going to do that again. You need to know that, for me, I always learned the hard way. I did. And sometimes I needed to be persuaded to do the right thing. 
And so I'm really a good persuader to have them do the right thing. And so if they go back again, absolutely quiet, and they listen, and, and I remind them about Psalm 46.10, where, where the psalmist writes, Be still and know that I am God. I think listening is a discipline. We do it in our services. I encourage you to do it at home. I encourage you every time that you open up God's Word, every time that, that you have an opportunity, you take some time to just be quiet and see where that spirit convicts you or encourages you or helps you. So much of us want to just focus on knowledge. And I think what the shepherd is saying is that I want you to listen to me. Listening means more than hearing, but obeying. Life goes well for sheep when they would obey. Just this last week, I was reading out of Psalm 81. And the psalmist there is just pouring out his heart and just lamenting and wishing that Israel would listen to their shepherd. And this is what he writes, Psalm 81, starting at verse 13. He says, oh, that my people would listen to me. The Lord is, 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 well, begging. Oh, that Israel would follow me, walking in my paths. How quickly I would then subdue their enemies. How soon my hands would be upon their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before me. They would be doomed forever. But I would feed you with the finest wheat. And I would satisfy you with wild honey. Now again, to you saying, well, if, if the Lord said, I will satisfy you with snicker bars and ice cream, you'd probably say, well, that's a whole lot better than, you know. But what we have to remind ourselves is that God says, listen to me. I'm going to take care of everything. The thing that you do all the time is hope that you're going to get food for tomorrow. And I'm going to take care of you. Listen to me. You know, one thing I have noticed is that life doesn't go well for sheep when they disobey. Sometimes there's natural consequences. And, and i got to be honest here. As I did my research on sheep or whatever, not all sheep are totally rebellious. Some sheep have ADD. Did you know that? You know? They are just flighty. Sometimes they, they see this little spot over here and then, oh, there's another little spot over there and then, oh, that's some really good grass over there. Then all of a sudden that is right on the edge of a cliff and boom. And you go like, oh boy. I, it's not like I didn't want to listen to the shepherd today. It's just kind of like that grass was really good. You know? And it's the same thing in our lives that sometimes we're busy or sometimes we don't really want to pay attention to the shepherd and all of a sudden we find ourselves, whoa, in a cravine or some other place and you're just hoping, you know, you're, you're, you're yelling a little bit and hoping that that shepherd will come. But you know, I look at my own life and I have to be honest and I'm not so sure it was always because of ADD or distraction that I didn't listen to God. I just really think at times I just thought I knew more than the shepherd. 
I didn't really need to eat his grass, and I didn't need to drink his water, and I didn't really need to rest when he told me to rest. And you know what, Mr. Shepherd? I'm a pretty smart sheep, and I know what's best for me. Boy, that didn't work out often. I am letting you know. And the Scriptures tell us, because God loves us, sometimes He chastises us. Or He spanks us. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, um, it actually is a passage that the author of Hebrews goes back to, and it's found really in Proverbs chapter 3. But I'm going to read the Hebrews chapter 12 portion, starting at verse 5. This is what God says, have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to his children? Now, I just want to stop right there, because every time I read that, I don't think these are encouraging words. So I think the author said, I want to remind you that this is an encouragement. This actually is good news. Okay, when I'm told it's good news, okay, let's look at this. And he says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one that he accepts as a child. You see, a good dad is going to discipline and a good dad is going to chastise. A good dad sets up their kids, or a good shepherd in this case, sets up their sheep. And they teach and he teaches them how to live life. And how to get the most out of life? Well, the truth is, when there are rebellious sheep, well, he needs to step in. Not because some God is like some fanatic. We have a bad image of God sometimes. It's because it breaks his heart that you and I are not living abundant life. He knows there's better grass. He knows there's purer water. He knows that you need sleep. He knows if you go in that valley, it's wolf time. He knows. And he says, hey, you got to listen to me. Then the author of Hebrews goes on. As you endure this divine discipline, remember God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means really that you're not a child of his. Ah, we just need to be reminded that when we disobey, whether it's because we get distracted and life is too busy, Or we basically thumb our nose at the Almighty God. He says, you are breaking my heart. I'm not going to turn the other way. And I am going to spank you. I'm going to give you a time out. I'm going to discipline you in a perfect way. It will drive you back to me, not repel you from me. Because that's the beauty of a perfectly disciplined act is that when God does this, He is doing it out of love. He's doing it at the perfectly the right time. He's using exactly the right amount of force. And He is using that to drive you back to the shepherd. Whoa. 
That is amazing. You can see on the text, and if you want to write it down, there are so many places in the Scripture where God just says, I love you, I love you, I love you, but if you don't follow me, I am going to chastise you. I'm going to spank you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to, well, allow you to go through hard times so that you come back to me. Now, let me just say this. Every time you go through a hard time, anytime you end up in the hospital, anytime you uh, whatever, doesn't mean God's disciplining you. That, that is a poor understanding of the circumstances of life. But I think maybe that's maybe one of the first things you've got to ask. Lord, am I running? Am I running from you? Because if I am, you got my attention. You've got my attention. The next thing sheep do is they keep on following. They keep on following the shepherd. They have faith in the shepherd. And you know what's so cool? Is that the longer you're part of his flock, the longer you trust him. You look back, if you've only been a God follower for two years, that's awesome. But you've only got two years to look back and say, God, you are faithful. God, you are loving. God, you are caring. But again, what I try to tell the kids up at camp in the class I'm in, because I get to teach them how do you stay connected with God and how staying connected with God changes your life. And, I, and they're 19 and 20 and 21, and I say, just think in five years, if you spend every single day with the Lord and you listen to Him, do you know how much more you're going to love the Lord in five years? Oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Whoa, 10 years. 10 years, every single day. Every day you talk to Him, every day you're reminded, whoa, whoa, let's push that out. If God gives you life and breath for 20 years, 40 years, all of a sudden you are like an encyclopedia of God's grace. Hey, I remember back when I was 20. Hey, I remember when I was 30. I remember when I was 40. I remember this situation. I remember when I was 60. I remember when I was 70. I remember when I was 80. This is an unbelievable God. Do you know all that God is? Yeah. Why do we need some gray hairs around here to remind us that the journey is worth it? Who are going to be the greatest of all generations to be able to proclaim God's faithfulness? <laughs> Somebody who walks with them for 50 or 60 or 70 years. Hey, granted, there are some folks that <laughs> when they get that old, they get a little persnickety and they forget. And they run. Oh, it's sad. Actually, any time we run from God, it's sad. Now, let me just jump ahead one more point, and that is, what are the benefits of being in his flock? Why is it so important to be in his flock, and, and why? Just in verse 28 and 29. Oh, better get back to John. I read out of Hebrews, and I know it's the wrong thing. Starting in verse 28, I will give them eternal life, and they 
will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. My Father has given them to me, and He, 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 you mark your Bibles, circle that one. He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. You see, my security is because God's powerful. It's not because I'm smart or I even listen. It's because of who God is. He says this, and this is hard to, in any of the uh, translations that I read through, this this is a hard concept, but really what John is repeating here of what Jesus said, it would be really, really, really clear to his audience. But this is what he was saying. I give them never-ending life. In other words, abundant life begins right now. And eternal life is just a natural flow. So he says this. He goes, the sheep in, in my flock, I give them abundance. You've already entered this never-ending life. Whoever comes to faith in Jesus Christ will never die. They get to live abundantly now, and as soon as they shut their eyes, they enter glory. Eternity is weird because, really, you're all eternal beings. Okay? You are. You all have eternal life. It just may not end up where you want to be. You know, I mean, you are going to exist. But realistically, what Jesus is saying here is that, hey, if you're part of my flock, there's going to be abundant life. And it starts now. You will never perish. Never. And my flock is secure. You're in the Savior's hand. No one is able to pluck to grab them. God the Father is amazing. Is amazing. You know, as I looked through the rest of these verses, in chapter 10, verse 42, there's a powerful verse. Remember Jesus, again, he continues some dialogue all the way through, and I'd love to be able to spend time on every one of these verses, but this is really the last time Jesus is going to have a public ministry before the last week of his life. He gave it everything he had. He wanted them to understand how abundant, how wonderful this, well, being part of his flock is, all right? And in verse 42 of chapter 10, and many who were there believed in Jesus. Ah. You know, you share truth. God's word is powerful. It's life-changing. Not everyone receives it. Now, some of you may be jumping for joy and saying, isn't that great? Some people are part of the kingdom now. Now their lives are transformed. It's changed. They finally listen to Jesus right at the very last moment. I think that's all true. But the part that stuck out to me was the many. Are you serious? Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, 
said over and over again, I am a good shepherd, not like bad shepherds. I've come to walk with you, to encourage you, to empower you. A relationship with me is unbelievable. And there are some that said, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't know where you are today. I don't. I don't know every one of your spiritual conditions. I'm certainly not going to be the judge. But the offer is exactly the same today. Jesus says the only way you're going to experience abundant life is if you're part of my flock. And you become part by believing. And once that happens, you spend time with the shepherd. There's nothing more important than that. I I don't care. The most important thing is spending time to know the Lord. And I'll tell you when it will be so very, very clear for every one of us. As soon as we shut our eyes on this planet. As soon as that happens, you will see you will see how important it was to walk with our Lord. You see, it's about spending time with the shepherd, each one of us today. It's about making disciples or helping others learn who the good shepherd is. You know, we have great youth programs here, but the idea of a youth program isn't to have the most fun. I hope they have fun. But the idea is to keep pointing them a good shepherd. Same way with our wanna clubs. Same way with our seniors. Yes, did we have fun last Friday? Oh, come on. Okay, thank you. At least a few of you. Some are awake. Okay, good. I'm glad. But all I can say is this. Are you kidding me? There's fun. But there is nothing. Nothing like it's going to be once you meet Jesus. Help people find that path. Not everyone's going to believe. Proclaim the good news. Keep pointing to Jesus. Keep pointing to Jesus. Remind them you need a shepherd. We're sheep, and we need a shepherd. You know what's so cool? Next week, next week, we have the celebration of baptism. There are going to be a boatload of people, young, old, And they are going to proclaim their faith in Jesus and how their lives have been transformed and you are going to float out of here. Get it? Baptism float? No. You're going to go crazy because God is amazing. And we get to celebrate people that said, I want to follow the good shepherd. That's who I want to do. Let's pray. Jesus... We thank you.